0: Good morning, oh glorious victory that overcomes the world. It's a great day to be together. I know that thinking about this time of year when there's a lot of changes and busyness going on, it's usually not easy for our families when the eves, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve fall around Saturday or or Sunday, Uh, but thinking about a year ago when we were here together on New Year's Day, on the first day of the week, and then to be here on New Year's Eve on the first day of the week, there's something Albeit it may be difficult for our families and our schedules, something very uh, sweet and nice about ending the year or beginning the year around the first day of the week, being together to worship God. And we're thankful that you are here today and that we can sing about that wonderful victory. We can sing about our wonderful faith and we appreciate your attendance this morning. We have many who are sick of our number, who are at home maybe or not able to be here. We have many who are traveling, of course, for the holiday season but we're glad that you are here, we're thankful for uh, some visitors who are with us today, those who may be visiting family, but we're thankful that you have come our way, and we hope that you can be a part of any or all of our services this day, including our service uh, this afternoon, and we hope that you will be able to be uh, safe over the next couple of days if you do any traveling or as you enjoy this, this holiday. I'm going to ask you this morning to do your best to use your imagination, I know sometimes preachers say, if you'll close your eyes, I won't make you close your eyes because this is going to take a few minutes, but, but do your best to try to use your imagination to try to think for just a few moments about putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Imagine that you are sitting in a jail cell but not a jail cell like today's jail cells. I know the picture on the screen is a little more modern than what I'd like for it to look like, but it certainly hopefully sets the the stage and helps you begin to form this mental picture to try to get this idea in your imagination. But imagine that you're sitting in a, a jail cell. Maybe there's not even metal bars, but imagine that you are in a Roman prison cell. But you aren't even actually in Rome. You are actually miles and miles from Rome you're actually in a province by the name of Judea that's in Jerusalem. You aren't in just any prison cell, but you're actually maybe in more of a holding cell, if you will. This holding cell is in the confines of the prefect or the governor's palace of Judea in Jerusalem. This governor is constantly performing the high wire act of walking that fine line between staying in good favor with Rome, right? Because that's important if you're going to be a leader, not the top dog, but you are trying to be a leader of an area, you have to stay in the good graces of those who you report to. But also that high wire act regards trying to stay in favor with the people. Right? Because while we think about being in power, this governor knows that the quickest way to lose his power is to have an uprising or an uprising in his province. We know from history that Rome loves to conquer, right? Rome loves to have their land and to go out and to conquer more lands, but they also love their Pax Romana. As you've heard it mentioned before in sermons, that they love their Roman peace. But what is peace for Rome may mean death for you as the prisoner in this particular situation. Because, and again, keep trying to imagine with me if you can, that you are a leader of a band of Judeans that have caused an uprising. And now it is festival season. And there are even more people in town, and there's a sense of nationalism that's being drummed up. The best and the closest we can come maybe is like the 4th of July, around here, a holiday-type season, more people, more nationalism. But you, instead of being outside... Enjoying the crowds, enjoying the Passover celebration, you are in chains. And as you sit in chains with your head bowed and maybe your shoulders slumped, you can only sit with your thoughts, right? That's part of the, the problem with prison, is you're alone often, and you're sitting there with your thoughts and you begin to contemplate your life. You think about your mother? You think about your father? You think about your siblings or maybe even your friends. Maybe you think about those co-conspirators who are also with you, who you convinced to go along with your plan. And here's the thing. The plan wasn't exactly evil, per se. Your plan was actually to help establish God's kingdom, Israel, to establish Israel back to its grandeur. Your plan was to overthrow the Roman government. That's it. It wasn't an evil plan, but... As you think about it, you are a leader of an insurrection. And in this insurrection, people died. In fact, as you sit in that jail cell with your head bowed, you can probably only see your hands, and you know that those hands killed a person in this insurrection. Everyone knows your name. They know that you are a notorious rebel. But now, instead of being outside that wall, those walls, and leading a rebellion... You are in prison. You are in jail. And you and, and two of your followers are sitting in this jail cell. You know full well what's going to happen. You know what is coming. The governor will want to make an example of you. You see those crowds that are outside, all those people who are there, and the, the nationalism being drummed up. He will want to make an example of you and show the people what happens to rebels. And all you can do is sit and wait and wait. And maybe even through some kind of of knowledge, you can simply only count down the days or hours or even minutes until you know that your execution is coming. But imagine with me, if you can, that on this day, you hear a commotion outside in the streets. See this picture doesn't have a, a window, but maybe there is, or or maybe the walls, which are probably some sort of brick or stone, or are still in such a way that you can hear. And as you're sitting there, and you've been sitting there, now you hear a commotion outside in the streets. It sounds like a mob, almost, right? A large group of people gathered together. There is shouting, and you're trying to move, but you can't really move from where you are. You're straining to try to hear the words, to try to understand the words that are being chanted. It seems loud. Again, you may not have heard much for a while, so it seems loud to your ears, but then all of a sudden, it gets quiet. So quiet that you realize that the governor must be addressing the crowd. And again, with only one voice, it's even harder to strain and try to understand what the governor is saying. You can't quite make out what he's saying to them, but then, quiet at first, And growing louder and louder, you hear something unmistakable. And that something is your name. Barabbas. 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 It's not actually your real name. Your real name is Yeshua or Joshua. In the Latin, it's Jesus. But you are known as Barabbas, which means son of the dear father. It's actually a name that your mother began calling you when you were young because she thought you looked and acted just like your father. From then on, you were known as Jesus Barabbas, or just Barabbas. And now here you are in a jail cell, and you hear your name chanted by an angry crowd in front of the governor, who is Pilate, in front of Pilate's palace. Barabbas, 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 Barabbas. And then suddenly the crowd gets quiet again. Because now Pilate must be speaking. The governor must be addressing them as everyone gets silent. But once again, a roar erupts. And it's unmistakable. Louder this time. And it's not your name, but it's the repeated phrase, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And in your mind, from the jail cell, as you sit there, all you've heard is Barabbas and crucify him. And as the chanting continues, you hear outside your door footsteps approaching. The door opens, you bow your head, you take a deep breath, and you whisper the quiet prayer, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save me. A Roman centurion walks into the room, he walks you out of your cell. Your time is up. Pilate will listen to the crowd, and your death by crucifixion is now here. You know that you're guilty. You know that you deserve death. You've been contemplating that for a while now. And you're led outside of that jail cell and outside of that area to probably an open kind of deck or patio with a sense where Pilate is sitting there upon his judgment seat. But on the other side of that judgment seat is another man. You don't know who he is, but before you can begin to even in your mind piece it all together, Pilate looks at you and says, you're free to go you can leave. The centurion quickly releases your chains and you hear Pilate order that same centurion to take those chains and put them on the other man and take him away to be scourged and crucified. The same chains that were just now around your arms or around his, the crossbeam that had been prepared for you to carry will now have this man nailed to it. You were guilty, but he took your place. As you walk in disbelief, almost stumbling through the crowd, people are patting you on the back and they cheer. And you ask someone, who was that man? And someone says, that's Jesus of Nazareth. He claims to be the son of the father, the son of God. And now you will never forget this day that this stranger, Jesus, the son of the father, took the place of you, Jesus Barabbas, son of the dear Father. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15 beginning in verse number 1. Mark 15 and verse 1. Immediately in the morning the chief priests, chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and they bound Jesus, led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Verse 6 Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. And by the way, let me insert here, many people think, although we can't know maybe for certain, that there were two with him and those were the two who were crucified on either side of Jesus. Then in the multitude, verse 8, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate Pilate answered them, saying, "'Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews?' For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, "'What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews?' So they cried out again, "'Crucify him!' And then Pilate said to them, "'Why? What evil has he done?' But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. We've now told the story, and we've now read it from Scripture, but this morning our focus is on Barabbas. Let's notice a few things here about him that were mentioned briefly in the retelling, but that we do know from Scripture And we're going to notice from actually all four accounts of the life of Jesus. Number one, Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. This is what Matthew calls him in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 16. You see, Barabbas was not an unknown, but the people would have known about this group of rebels. And with them, this Jesus, Barabbas. It's Matthew chapter 26, excuse me, Matthew chapter 27 and verse 16 that we have a textual variant. Your Bible may give you that notation in your notes, but it's there that we see his name was Yeshua, Joshua, or Jesus Barabbas. He was known for what he had done. He's not some, you know, low life, just nobody knows thief who just happened to find himself caught and in prison. He is a notorious prisoner. Number two, though, he was also a chained prisoner rebel. Mark records for us in Mark 15 and verse 7 that Barabbas was chained with his fellow rebels. I don't know if this looks like a chain gang. You know I don't know if their chains are physically connected or linked or if they're just in the same area but they are grouped together and he is a chained rebel. Number three we know that he was a murderer. We've mentioned Matthew's account, Mark's account, now in Luke, Luke chapter 23 and verse number 19. We notice there that Luke tells us that Barabbas was thrown in prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. It appears to not be just one charge, but two. And the second murderer is very serious. I would suggest, as I said earlier, that I don't know that their plan was evil in intent. They are trying to establish, they think, God's kingdom, Israel, again, to overthrow the Romans so that Israel can stand. But regardless of what their intent was or how peaceful they might have wanted it to be, there was a murder on this occasion. And he is a murderer. Number four, he was a robber. We get a full picture as we've mentioned from all four accounts and now we go to John chapter 18 and verse number 40 and we see that Barabbas was a robber. Like other things in scripture we don't get a full account, we don't get full detail but we do understand that he was considered a robber. You take all that and you mix it all together and it's not a pretty picture, right? It's just not. Barabbas seems like that he was not going to be up for citizen of the year anytime soon in those parts you know he was not going to be someone that was this great shining example that everyone should look to whether his plan was evil or not I'm just kind of you know thinking about that a little bit but he certainly was a robber a murderer and here he is in prison. In fact, because of all of these things that we just mentioned about his life, we can notice a few other things. Number one, he was guilty of rebellion. You see, I don't think this was a case of mistaken identity, right? Barabbas was not hoping that he could hire the the most high-profile attorney that he had seen on the billboard outside, and he was going to be able to right this wrong, That's not the case here. He doesn't have some kind of hope that he's going to be able to get off because they're not sure that he, who he was. He was guilty of rebellion. We don't need the details to understand this fact. We get enough from what is given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit through these human penmen. Number two, though, he deserved death. They're connected, though, right? I mean, you understand that. Because he was guilty of rebellion, he deserved death. He wouldn't be the first, more than likely, and he probably wouldn't be the last to attempt to lead a rebel crew. He probably wouldn't have been the first, if it had happened, and he probably wouldn't have been the last to be sentenced to death for leading a rebellion. More than likely, he knew the punishment. He did the crime, and we see that he deserved death. But with all that we've noticed in the retelling and in the scripture and in what we've thought about from his life, we, the other fact that we know is that Jesus took his place. Again, I, I know that imagination is hard sometimes when we're in this kind of setting. and you know, We're here in our modern seats and modern places and modern clothes. Many of us may not have been in jail for any time. And, and so it's, it's just difficult, much less have none of us have been in a Roman prison to try to put ourselves in his shoes. But I think we get an idea of the wild card, of the, the ball out of left field, as we sometimes say, for someone to be willing to take his place. Do you remember in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, when Paul says, For when we were still without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. But then he gives an example for us. You see, that's a a pretty monumental statement, but he continues on to help us to understand by saying, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. What's that? That's real life, isn't it? That's real life. If any of us were lined up for death, we would not expect a random stranger to walk in the door and say, I'll do it, I'll go for him, you know? We wouldn't expect somebody we don't know to do that for us. In fact, I suggest we would barely expect a family member to do that for us, right? We won't love our family, we want them to continue to live. So if one of our family members walked in and said, I'll take their place, we would still be shocked, Maybe a family member would even do that for a good person, a loved one. But the fact is that Barabbas expected to die, but Jesus took his place. Brothers and sisters, friends, this morning, here's the kicker, though. I am Barabbas. I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. You see, let's go through it again. I am i guilty of rebellion. We know in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 that John says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Do you know what happens when I commit sin? I am guilty of rebellion. I am guilty of rebellion against the law. The law of Tennessee, uh, maybe, but maybe not. Is that what I should really worry about? Again, maybe, maybe not. Am I guilty of rebellion against the laws of these United States of America? Possibly, but possibly not. I am, though, in rebellion against the law of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, a phrase that we so often sing, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like barabbas i am guilty of rebellion and yes i should not rebel against the state of tennessee or the united states of america in one way but i certainly should not rebel against the law of god but when i commit sin which i do and i point myself out to also remind you though that yes you do we all do from time to time i we are guilty of rebellion or sin so you know what's next then right I deserve death. We know in Luke chapter 23 and verse number 40, as we continue on from Barabbas to the actual cross, that those two people, and again, maybe they were Barabbas' co-conspirators or friends, we may not know for sure. But one looks at the other and says, why are you reviling him? Why are you harassing this Jesus? He is innocent, but we are guilty. We deserve to die. You see, that one thief recognized that. He said, we know this man's done nothing, but me and you, were guilty and we deserve death. Barabbas deserved to die. I deserve to die. Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, Paul says, as he gives a list of sinful practices, and he follows it up by saying that those who practice such things are worthy or deserving of death. And then again, we know very well, Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. We work. We work hard. We expect to get our money and to get paid, to get what we've earned. Our wages here in this life, the payment for sin is death. Barabbas was guilty of rebellion. He deserved to die. But if I am Barabbas, and I am, then I am guilty of rebellion, and I deserve to die. But it doesn't stop there. As we've already discussed with Barabbas, Jesus took my place. We've already mentioned Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, but you continue on in that beautiful section of Scripture into verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, go back to our context, go back to the background of the picture, while we were still in prison, Christ died for us. God sent his son to die for me. This is obviously the picture, the wonderful picture that Paul paints in all of Romans. Think about Romans chapter eight and verse 32, that he, that's God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up. For you and for me. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter two and verse nine, "But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, that's Jesus, by the grace of God, might taste death for you, for me, Or as the scripture says, for everyone. Paul would write as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin. For us, Jesus took my place. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 24, says who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He did it. He took the place for everyone for me and for you you see the thing is I don't know exactly what Barabbas looked like some of you may recall it's I've mentioned this several times recently it's not something we go back and revisit often but many years ago when Mel Gibson put out his movie the passion of the Christ I don't know what Barabbas looked like but I've heard many say maybe that's the best picture You can find it on the internet, certainly, or watch the movie again. But his hair is real rough looking. He's a a pretty scary looking dude. Wild hair. He actually has a a glassed over eye in the the movie. And again, we probably have no idea if that's true or not. But it helps us to understand that in the movie, here is Jesus, bloodied, almost broken, if you will, about to go be scourged and it get even worse. And then here is Barabbas. Almost, in one sense from the way it's depicted in the movie licking his chops as we say he's going to get off he's going to get out what might have been I have to die has now become I get to walk away free but here is what I can say this morning I do know what Barabbas looks like because he looks like me and he looks like you I am Barabbas and you are too you are deserve to die because of your sin. You deserve to die because of your rebellion against God. But because of his amazing grace, because of his wonderful love, because of his incredible mercy, Jesus took your place. And he took my place too. Jesus took sin's curse for you on that tree so that you can have access to the tree of life. And his saving blood. As you may have heard it said before in lessons like this, we don't know what happens to Barabbas. As he walks among that crowd, as he leaves the area, we don't know the rest of his story. We don't know if he had a change of life with his second chance, but I know that I can, and I know that you can. You see, just a moment ago we read 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Again, it begins, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. But it continues on by saying that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. We don't know what he did with the rest of his life, but we should want to live for righteousness. I don't know what happened to Barabbas, but I know what happens to me. I know that you can know what happens to you. And as we conclude this lesson this morning, extend Jesus' invitation. In one sense, he's already taken your place. But you have to commit to him. You have to submit to him, to his plan of salvation, to what he has done, being washed in his blood. Peter says there, He bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might live for righteousness. Are you doing that this morning? We can't know the rest of Barabbas' story, but you can know yours. And if you're here this morning you've never put on Christ in baptism, allowing his blood to wash away your sins, we sing to encourage you. As was even prayed just a few moments ago, that if someone here this morning might not have named the name of Christ, that you would be willing to take that great and wonderful step. Or if you have questions, that we, you would allow us the opportunity to study with you and answer those questions as soon as possible. Or maybe you've done that, but like Barabbas, you have been in rebellion. I mean, just being honest about it. Sometimes we don't name the sins in front of everyone, and in one sense that's okay. But, but maybe you have been living in rebellion, and you deserve to die. But you remember that Jesus took your place. You remember that God has extended his second law of pardon, and you can this morning come back to him and be made whole and walk in the light as he is in the light. What a short but wonderful example that Barabbas gives us to think about, knowing that Jesus took our place, knowing that we can live for righteousness, even this day as we stand together and as we sing.